episode 185 of the Cricket Her Weekly. Now, it may be the off-season here in England, but women's cricket now goes on all year round somewhere in the world. Um, as Rob of Talking About Women's Cricket will know, because does he ever sleep? He always seems to be um, watching another women's cricket series somewhere in the world. But there has been a particularly um, big series going on this week in Australia. Um, Australia have been playing the West Indies and there was a bit of a shock result. Now, Australia did manage to win the final of the three T20s, um, so therefore they did win the series, but they lost the second match and West Indies actually managed a record run chase in women's T20 cricket. Um, they hit 213. Um, 132 of those runs were scored by Hayley Matthews, but she was out in the 19th over um, and Campbell and Henry then came in um, and ended up needing eight to win off the final over. So, and then they won it off the penultimate ball. So it was all very exciting, Sid, and very unexpected, actually, um, potentially. Yeah, definitely. It was a match that went up to 11, wasn't it? And West Indies have had a, a sorry time over the past few years. I mean, it, you know, it really extends right back to that thing at the World Cup in 2017 when they, you know, got bowled out for next to nothing by South Africa. And it's, it's almost like, you know, they haven't been quite the same team mm -hmm. since, despite having won that T20 World Cup in 2016. In fact, I think that was the last time that they beat Australia in a T20 um, in that World Cup final in 2016. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a fantastic result for them. Obviously, you know, ultimately Australia, you know, took the series as you'd expect them to. It is kind of interesting with T20s. I published a piece um, on the website this weekend about T20s and about whether T20s really are a kind of levelling format. Because as commentators, we talk a lot about, oh, anyone can win a T20, you know, on the day. It's, it's, that, it's, the, it's the format that allows the, the lesser teams like West Indies to beat the bigger teams like Australia. Actually, not really true. Um, you're, you're no more likely to see an upset in a, in a women's international T20 than you are in an ODI. You are much more likely to see an upset in a men's international T20 than you are in a women's international T20. But even in the men's game, actually, ODIs see more upsets than, than T20s. So that's, that's kind of interesting. That's very interesting because it overturns something that has kind of become a bit of a truism in commentary and yeah, the way in which time, we talk we? about but cricket it's just think, a myth and you get confirmation yeah. bias because you see you know you see Pakistan beat South Africa and yeah. you go oh yeah well that's obviously because um, but if you look at you know all the matches there's been a, you know a couple of hundred matches played in each format over the past sort of three or four years and you look at, across all those matches mm. and you know the upsets are no more likely in T20 than in ODIs. How interesting. Sir. Fascinating stuff. Anyway, a fantastic result for, for the West Indies in yeah. that particular game. Because obviously that's going to go down as one of the great games. And Hayley Matthews is one of the, the great performances. And she, she actually can still you know, pull it out of the bag. Was it her greatest performance? I've always said one of the challenges of being Hayley Matthews um, you know, how, how does Hayley Matthews cope with being an amazing global superstar? Yeah. Um, but one of the challenges of being Hayley Matthews is she had got the pinnacle of her career happen when she was 16 and she was just never going to better that. But do you feel she did better that with this innings, right? I think she has bettered it. Um, and the reason why is not because of that one innings, but it's her consistent run of form, isn't it? Um, you know, most people watching this will be aware she's which she won, um, was it eight consecutive player of the match awards now? Um, after the end of the series. Um, there was a little bit of dispute about the last one. There, there wasn't was, there? Um, which I think was was actually a bit unfair. And I think um, because obviously there were a couple of Australians who also had had good innings in that um, in that final T20. Um, but 
it's when you're Hayley Matthews actually scoring runs in the way that she has been in that consistent way is even more impressive because of the fact that there's so much pressure on her shoulders as an individual because she knows that almost every time she fails then her team will fail and I just think that the psychological pressure of having to deal with that is quite extreme for her um, and therefore you know when she hits um, a 50 it's worth like three times somebody else hitting a 50 especially for Australia when you normally know that you've got somebody else coming in so it's that consistency for her and she's really seen she really seems to have recovered it over the last year or so as you say after kind of perhaps struggling for a few years it's very interesting um, I think from my perspective um, another question in relation to the Australia West Indies is about this whole thing of um, Australia's kind of aura of invincibility sort of slipping a little bit um, and I actually wrote during the Ashes, um, after they'd lost those matches to England, like, this is the end of the kind of era of green and gold dominance. Um, and you disagreed with me a little well, bit I, I, at the time. A, a little but bit, I think a this is bit, further evidence. Bit, I think yeah. this is further evidence that, that we're, what we're seeing, that it's the end of a kind of an era, a, a dynasty, if you like. Um, and the reason I say that is not because Australia aren't still a brilliant team. They're obviously still double world champions. They're probably going to win many more World Cups over the next few years. But what we've seen the end of is the ability for Australia to go into any series and for everyone to just go, OK, they're going to win the series. Um, you know, and um, they're barely even going to drop a game. And actually, that was how they played cricket for so many years. Um, it was literally like, you know, they, I think they lost like, what, two or three matches in, in, in years. Um, and it's just like a ridiculous record of total dominance. And I think we are, we've seen the end of that now. Okay, they're, not, they're no longer invincible anymore. Yeah, no, I, still I, I, I do agree with you there. And I, think, well, I think what I said back during the Ashes was not that you, were, that you weren't right, but that it was too early to tell. But I think that we are potentially seeing that now. But it's interesting because actually, if you look at the, the numbers, that Australia's batting isn't particularly falling off. Um, what's happening is, well, you can look at it as Australia's bowling falling off a, li a bit, perhaps, but you can also look at everyone else catching up with the batting. And I've just got, I just wonder again, if what we're actually seeing is a, a major shift within women's cricket in particular, that women's cricket is going back to the kind of cricket that we saw, not in the 20th century in the men's game, but in the, the 19th century in the men's game, where the bowlers were kind of literally cannon fodder. Your job as a bowler was just to plant the ball there so the batters could hit it and you know create those exciting big hits that the crowds wanted to see and build the runs that you know that people wanted to wanted to frankly bet on because you know, that's what it was all about in the 19th century arguably it still is um so you know are we perhaps seeing a, a new era where bowlers just you know their role is just to you know serve the ball up and get smashed out of the ground while teams hit 200 <laughs> in a t20 I'm sure all of the bowlers watching this would agree with you, Sid, and, and think that we need to find a way. Oh, yeah, way I'm, to, I'm team bowlers. You know, some okay. of my favourite players, some of my best friends are bowlers. Right? <laughs> okay, Sid. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, I think it's interesting to think about kind of what's um, what's changed for Australia, um, and we did obviously reflect on this during the Ashes as well. Um, and clearly, the the one of the the big things is is um, the continued absence of Meg Lanning with Alyssa Healy continuing to captain the side but it's still being presented as kind of this stopgap thing um, which I think it does make things actually quite difficult for Alyssa Healy and I um, you know I was gonna say I feel sorry for her she'd probably like be really cross with me saying something like that because she's not that kind of player who wants to elicit sympathy but 
um, you know, I just think there's been quite a lot of pressure on her um, because of being given the captaincy in that kind of interim way. And, um, you know, there was a lot of criticism um, about the way that, you know, the field settings against Hayley Matthews, especially in the first couple of games, were, um, were a bit naive and they just let her continually freely score on the offside, which is a particular area of strength for her. Well, from my perspective, what it looked like was actually that she'd given, that Alyssa Healy had given particular plans to the bowlers and they hadn't executed them. And that's very tough as a captain. Um, but Sid, what's the what's the latest on, on Meg Lanning? Are we going to be seeing her coming back? Well, I mean, who knows? I mean, she has played a couple of WNCL games okay. for, for Victoria. So she hit 50 in her first appearance. She got 30, 38, I think, okay. in, in the second game. You know, so she's back on the cricket field. Mm. Um, she, it's it's impossible for us to tell though from looking especially at this distance you know yeah. is she is she actually ready to come back um you know we just have to wait and see and you know australia's doctors are going to you know assess her and you know go look you know either you know you're ready meg or you're not um and you know i mean from a cricketing perspective you know it looks like perhaps she is if she you know if she's making half centuries mm -hmm. in wncl but you know it's it's not really about the cricket. cricket. It's about her being, cricket is very different. Yeah, though, it's about it? her being so, well enough to you know yeah. actually you know get jump back into that that mm -hmm. cauldron, mm -hmm. and we just don't know the answer to that yet. Yeah. So I you know I think that that again is um, is a kind of sort of era defining um, event potentially um, because it was Meg Lanning's team for so long, and she was she yeah. was at the helm. Um, and she knew what she was doing, and, and you know we've talked about this before on the podcast of what a kind of brilliant captain that she really was. Um, and yeah, who knows if um, if she will come back and if she will captain? Um, I don't know, but I, right. I, I it just does, feel it does feel it like heaps. the bucket has been pierced. Yeah. And that, you know that they're going to have to bail a lot harder now. And you know, yeah, you're right. They probably still win, will win most of the series just if they won this one. Of course, but, but know, not so easily. Yeah, but the era, the era of complete yeah. dominance probably does look like I it might be so. over. I think so. Okay. Um, let's talk a bit about um, stuff closer to home, Sid, um, because it is our off season. But um, we are at a point in the year where um, the regions are kind of thinking about contracts for next season um, and indeed for over the winter because these contracts go year round now. So there's some big decisions kind of been taking place over the last couple of weeks. Um, there's been a few contract announcements kind of gradually leaking out. Um, I think so Molly Robbins for Western Storm, um, Ariana Douse for the Sunrisers, um, a couple of kind of new contracts announced. Yeah, so we've seen a few more new contracts. I mean, we know that, that you know, ultimately the aim is to push up towards sort of 15, 15 players per team, you know, fully contracted ideally. The ISEC report did say something about this, didn't it? What the ISEC, the ISEC did say something Raff? about this, yeah. So the ISEC actually, one of its recommendations was women's regional teams should be fully professionalised by the start of the 2025 season. So we've got another year and a little bit. Um, by increasing the number of contracts to 15 to make a full squad. Um, but what's interesting is that this didn't really seem to be mentioned in the ECB's kind of conversations around its response to the ISEC report, um, which we talked about in last week's episode. So there was a lot of discussion about pay, um, a lot of discussion about um, kind of stuff that's happening um, at England level in terms of um, equal match fees and that kind of thing. But not so much about actually fully professionalising these women's regional teams. So um, it doesn't look like actually we're getting any progress towards that imminently. There haven't been any announcements about new uh, or kind of increased numbers of contracts at this at this point in yeah, the year. Yeah, so what we don't know is whether these new contracts are coming at the expense of existing contracts yeah. and other people are being let go. We've talked before about the reluctance of regions to kind of 
to, to, to talk about letting people go. Yeah. England, to be fair, you know, when, when are they going to announce the England contracts? Because yeah. there have been changes to England yeah, contracts. Absolutely. They haven't been announced. Some of those changes have now been, you know, effectively in place for well over a month. Yeah. It's a bit frustrating. What they are. Um, and so, what's happening, what happens at the regional level kind of mirrors that ECB reluctance to say anything negative. And it does feel like a little bit of a hangover from those days of kind of pre-professional women's cricket, whereby if you tried to write anything that was remotely critical, somebody would jump on you and go, I'm sorry, um, you can't write that. We expect you to just write something nice. It's the, you know, that's the written report equivalent of patting all the women on the head and saying, well done, you did a really good job. But you can, you can, you know, make, turn, try and make it as positive as you can. You know, you frequently read, read tweets about Essex County Cricket Club would like to thank Bob Basher for his 15 years of service <laughs> in, in bashing, bashing away. And we wish him luck in his... Future yes, career but... as an undertaker, or <laughs> that's a, that's a little bit different, though, isn't it? Because um, often in the men's system, people have been playing for years and years and years, um, and aren't being kind of released into the wild with nowhere really to go. And it feels very much well, like Bob Bash is becoming an undertaker. There you go. Well, I'm wish him all all the best in his future undertakings. Um, that's Auntie. If you made that joke, Sid. Then you'd be absolutely in hysterics at how brilliantly oh, hilarious you are. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> I just feel it's a little bit different with the regions, um, and there is this reluctance, as you say, to kind of say anything um, that could be construed negatively. Um, but actually, it's almost worse for them for the players if, if some of them have been. Let yeah, go. become ones that being a big secret. Yeah, yeah and then they can't, talk, can't about. talk about it. They can't react to it. They can't say, "I'm really gutted. I'm really disappointed in the way yeah. that Thea Brooks did earlier earlier in the year." Um, and was actually, I think probably there was a certain amount of catharsis in actually being able to talk about yeah. it. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky one. <laughs> but someone who has been well not let go, but someone who's decided to move on. I guess he's not retired because you know he he's he's not done anything in the past that would have made him huge money. I don't think. But someone who's decided to move on is Paul Shaw. Um, yeah, absolutely. Is... Having been the Thunder coach, head coach since the new regions were established in twenty twenty. Um, so he's now done that role for longer than I think he originally anticipated that he was going to be doing it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're seeing him off. Uh, yeah, and you know, everyone thanks him at the end. Ellie Furka had did a tweet off they won their last game, basically saying something like, "This one's for the boss," as he as he goes off on his <laughs> on his way. Yeah, um, so, so there is a vacancy, a vacancy, a vacancy um, so, for the Thunderhead coach. Yeah, if you want to be Thunderhead coach, you know, get get applying. Um, but seriously, Raf, um, you know, so I mean, look. Let's be honest about this. Um, I, I'm not going to be surprised what we see in, in Thunder's case is a jobs for the boys appointment. It will be a recently retired Lancashire men's professional that they want to kind of give an opportunity to. Um, and, you know, colour, colour me blind if that's not what happens. But, you know, if, if, if the people from Lancashire phoned you up tomorrow, Raph, and said, um, we're, we're headhunting a new head coach, yeah. you know, who do you advise that we go after? Money's no object. We'll, we'll have, we want the best. Who are you going to advise them to go after, Raph? I mean, I think it's pretty clear from the podcast two episodes ago when I uh, spent like five minutes singing her praises. Obviously, the best coach in the country and probably the world is Charlotte Edwards. Um, but you, you try getting her to move from Southern Vipers to the Thunder. It doesn't matter about the money. She wants to keep being the Vipers coach. She basically chose doing that over applying for the England job. Um, earlier in the summer so I think that that it's pretty clear she's going nowhere so that would be what I would advise if I actually thought there was any chance of her moving but I don't think there is and and it's it's a difficult one because um, you know beyond that I think that we've got a few coaches who are kind of st starting to settle in 
to their roles um, as as regional coach and um, are kind of you know enjoying doing doing that role. Um, but actually, it's it's a tricky one because um you know it's. It's a tough gig in a couple of different ways. Um, the first it's one is... It's not the best paid gig in the world, Yeah, exactly. So our understanding is, because based on having seen prior adverts for these coaching jobs, is that given the amount of hours that you're putting in year round, um, and if you look at the kind of pay scale of coaches, relatively speaking, they're not this, these um, regional coaching jobs are not particularly well remunerated. Um, and that's no shade on the regions at all, because they're obviously having to deal with the budget that they're given by the ECB. And I suspect the ECB actually um, has, has quite a lot of say in going, right, we want the head coaches to be paid X amount. Um, and so it's not, it's not shade on the regions, but it's just that perhaps the, these, these roles are not particularly kind of um, are not particularly well paid. I don't know that they're particularly prestigious, unfortunately. Um, if you're, if you're a, a male coach, um, and you're trying to kind of do something that you think is going to launch your career as a male coach, um, then actually um, the, the only women's cricket job I think that's viewed as like particularly prestigious um, still in, in if you're a male coach in England is the, is the actual head coach of England job. Yeah, it's the only coaching role as well that pays, you know, yeah. the, kind of, the kind of pay that you get if you're the head coach for a men's county team. Yeah. So, you know... Yeah, you would think as well... That actually, if you are a coach and you have your eye on the England women's head coaching role, that one of the ways to actually work your way up to that would be by getting coaching experience in women's cricket, in regional women's cricket. So actually getting the head coach of the Thunder might be a really good stepping stone to that. But Sid, unfortunately, if you look at the way in which the ECB actually appoint um, the, uh, the England head coach, well, let's let's take the example of John Lewis, okay? Um, he got the job despite having never coached in women's cricket before. He was up against, as as we know, the other John Lewis, who not only had had years of experience coaching in women's cricket, but had also spent like years already working with the England women's team. But yet, the John Lewis with no experience got the job over the John Lewis who did have experience. So, if so you're... like they see being the outsider as, as advantageous well, there. Yeah, um, I, we obviously can't speculate on the um, on the actual specifics of the appointment process. And I, you know, this is not uh, me having a go at the John Lewis who did get the job. Um, my no. goodness, let's be honest, he's been extraordinarily successful so far in his. We love all the John Lewis in this podcast. <laughs> yes, never knowing the undersold. Um, and um, but the, but the point is that um, if you are a um, a male coach and you're trying to work your way up the career ladder, then you would probably go with a kind of you would probably be inclined to stick with a better paid job in the men's game, um, and then work your way in that way. And you would actually be looking at the um, prior appointments processes to the England women's head coaching role and going, oh, I don't need to build up any work experience in women's cricket. What, what's the point? So I think that that's, that just makes me a little bit cross with um, the whole way in which the ECB have sometimes handled it because it does it discourages people from actually, it discourages some of the best coaches from applying for those slightly less 
well-paid, slightly less prestigious roles in women's cricket. And we know that coaching in women's cricket is different to coaching in men's cricket. And, you know, heck, John Lewis has actually come out very recently and said so, despite initially going in, going, oh, I think it's just exactly the same. Well, he's learned after a few months in the job that it's not. Um, surprise, surprise. Anyway, in terms of the specifics of the Thunder job, so I think that's going to be a bit of a challenge in terms of recruitment. I'll be really interested to see who they get. I will be interested to see whether they go down a jobs for the boys um, type appointment. But I think one of the things is a little bit that we know that um, we know a little bit about the type of coach that Paul Shaw is, partly because he was the England women's head coach a few years ago. He's the kind of coach that believes in kind of empowering the players to handle things themselves um, and to kind of take responsibility. Yeah, he's, he's a really, about... really different coach. Going yeah. the completely opposite from Lottie, for example. Yeah. So Lottie will, you know, when the, when the players come in, you know, she'll give them very detailed yes. instructions. She will say, you do this. And um, someone was saying to me recently, she even just says, you know, don't worry about why, just do this. <laughs> and, well, um, and it works. It's very, it's it's very, very successful. Effective. But it's going to be interesting. A coach coming into mm. the Thunder... Is going to have to deal with players that have gotten really used to Paul Shaw's kind of I'll empower you, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll teach you, you know, how to how to do things for yourself kind of method of coaching. Um, and if anyone comes in trying to kind of shake that up, then they're going to get some reaction from the players. I'm yeah. going to tell you. So that's yeah, going to be absolutely, an particularly one. the senior players uh, yeah. could potentially. Um, you know, revolt yeah. against any a new style of coaching. So I think that for a couple of reasons, it's it's a tricky gig um, to to recruit for and for somebody coming in to do it. So um, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's wrap up there, Sid. Um, thanks everybody for tuning in, and we will see you in a week's time. Bye-bye. Bye bye.